2: Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This
0: message entitled, Generosity Beyond Giving, was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the ninth in our series, Sermon on the Mount.
2: Um, We're going to be working, continue to work through the the Sermon on the Mount, um, the first uh, few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you need a Bible, um, there's some on the side there. I don't know if there's somebody who can help us handing those out, uh, if anybody wants one or needs one. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to the sixth chapter, and we're going to spend a few minutes uh, just talking about how to push back against uh, a consumeristic culture. We've come out of the season of consumerism. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and and we've got them uh, coming down the side. We need somebody up here. That is one honking ringtone, man. I'll tell you what. We've we've um, I need somebody with a Bible up here if you can help me out thanks <laughs> Man you see that are called a nature we're running back in there anyway um thank you thank you thank you okay we got one thanks we're good Okay set your uh cell phones on stun that would be good and and will help us out with that one Okay um we've just come through this season though uh, of of uh in which in which You know, we had the Black Friday and then Black Monday, and in which uh, retailers count on us spending more money in three or four weeks than we have done all year, that bring their balance sheets into the into the black. And uh, often, you know, businesses are made or broken in that season. Um, And advertising comes at us. uh, Somebody has suggested just under a thousand. Uh, messages uh, that want to tell you how to spend your money a day that you get starting as early as six months old if your parents trust you to be watching the television. Uh, If if, uh, they they save it till later, even on non-commercial television, kids are exposed to hundreds of messages uh, that cultivate a kind of spirit of materialism. And again, remember what we're doing here in this series is talking about what it means to live in that thin space between the material world and the spiritual world, and trying to figure out strategically how to live where we are supposed to live, because the temptation for those who are disciples of Jesus sometimes is just to abandon the material world completely and just go all out for the spiritual world, right? But that's not, he said, you're supposed to be in the world. You're supposed to be in that thin space. You're supposed to be engaging in the material world. You just need to learn how to do it with the dynamic of the spiritual world Uh, because it's going to be very strange. It's going to be very uh, uncomfortable sometimes for you to be living in that thin space. I have a friend, for example, who's in law school. Another one who's in uh, medical school right now, and, and we're Skyping every once in a while talking about this. And he says, "How do I how do I do this as a as a disciple of Jesus in this cutthroat, competitive environment that I'm in in this Ivy League law school?" And I said, "You got to remember, you're in law school like nobody else. You're going to school with. As far as we know, you're the only follower of Jesus in your class. So you're there." in ways that nobody else is. So you need to figure out how to do law school the way Jesus would if he were you. That's what it means to live in that thin space. right? So as we sit with that, we get to this place in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has kind of invited us in, and now he wants to teach us how to live, what it actually means to live in that thin space, in the kingdom of, of, of the world without getting sucked into it, and bring the kingdom of God to bear into, into, that, into that reality. Does that sound like something we want to learn how to do? How many of you know that that's going to sooner or later involve money? How many still want to talk about this? Right? Because it, it's going to... It's, he's, he, it, why does Jesus talk more about money than he does about prayer? Because he knows that money is a marker for us. It's, it's, it's a way that we measure value. And so he begins in the sixth chapter with this statement, broad statement, beware. I'm going to read the whole paragraph first, and then we'll come back and look at it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people so that you are noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in the heavens. When therefore you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they can be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be in secret and your Father, who sees in secret, will keep track, will repay you, will reward you. All right? So we're going to talk a little bit about this. Last week, uh, uh, we finished up the fifth chapter uh, in, in which Jesus is just kind of doing a spin cycle on our perceptions and perspectives of the world. He has done that all the way through the fifth chapter. You've heard it said, but I say to you, Right? This is the way it used to be. Here's how I want it to be in that thin space in between with regards to caring for people, with regards to lust and objectifying people, with regards to keeping commitments and, and promises and so on and so forth. So, and, and as we got to the tail end there, uh, the last time I was with you, we were in 38. We talked about eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. And he says, this isn't how you, the cycle of revenge is not going to work for you. So what you need to do is learn how to absorb the pain of another person's pain without retaliation. And that then stretches into being able to give with generosity just because somebody asks. Darren talked last week about loving your enemies. You don't have the privilege in the kingdom of God, you don't have the privilege of identifying people as enemies. They can think that way about you, but you don't have the right to think that way about them. It's the only way we are going to... Turn things right side up in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. So building off this shift in the way that people think about things, the ground is set now for this next thing. Remember, again, this is kind of a bit of a review. In the 20th verse of the 5th chapter that kind of introduces this whole conversation, Jesus says to his disciples, to those who are listening to him talk about this, Your righteousness, your way of life has to exceed that of the Pharisees, which were, in the first century, the most religious people anybody could think of. Your righteousness has to exceed theirs. And he he unpacks that primarily by suggesting that the righteousness of the Pharisees is external and for public consumption. They're good because of the Societal benefits that accrue to him them by being good. And Jesus is saying you need to be good for nothing. Right? Not good because somebody's watching. Not good because there's a reward. Not good because you're going to get some benefit from that. Not good because you get a, a foily star. But good because you are. You see, that's what we ended with last time. Be perfect, be complete, be good, as your Father in the heavens is good. So now he shifts gears a little bit because he's already dealt with the societal connection. But then the question is, well, how do we do religion as disciples of Jesus? Religion's not a bad thing. It it formalizes our walks with God into structures. So here in this fifth chapter, he's going to talk three topics that were contemporary in Jewish piety. He's going to talk about works of righteousness or alms. He's going to talk about prayer. And he's going to talk about fasting, all three of which were practiced by religious Jews in the first century. And notice what he says here in this umbrella statement that starts this sixth chapter Beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, what is included in righteousness? Alms, works of charity, prayer, and fasting. These are deeds. These are actions of righteousness. And he says, beware of doing them. So he'll start off each of these three topics with the same thing. Don't give to be seen. Don't pray to be seen. Don't fast to be seen. Right, So that's the umbrella statement. He says, don't do your stuff, your religious stuff. Doing the religious stuff is not a bad thing. It's why you do your religious stuff. It's what's at the gut of your religious stuff. It's what's at the core of your heart when you show up to worship on a Sunday. That's what we're after. And that righteousness has to be exceeding that of the Pharisees, one. Two, not before other people otherwise you recognize that you're not really living in this thin space. You have no reward in the heavens. You're doing everything, even... How many of you know it's possible to do religious stuff for material benefit? Not always money, right? But so prestige or position or because people think you're right or good because you need a date, right? My dad and mom wouldn't have gotten married except that my mom wouldn't marry my dad until he went to church. So he went to church and God ambushed him. He got saved in spite of himself. And even then she wouldn't marry him until he'd been a solid follower of Jesus long enough to know that he gave his life to Jesus for Jesus' sake, not for hers. Is, you see? Um, so and, and so it, it, this is what he's arguing for. I want you to do works of righteousness. I want you to get this religion stuff. It, 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 it's frustrating to me uh, when I hear people just systematically bag on religion, religion's not necessarily the problem. It's what's inside the religion that works itself out that's the problem. Right? And so Jesus here is saying, look, I don't want you to be doing this stuff so other people <coughs> applaud because as soon as you hear the applause, we're done. Debts paid in full. We're, you've, you've got what you're after. Right? So then he goes on and says, "Now let's talk about money. When you give alms, when you give to somebody on the street, when you, when you and, and alms here is, a, is not just about money, but it, it, it includes that. Uh, when you do works of charity, community garden is a classic example of that. right? Now we, might, we, we haven't advertised it as that. We haven't thought about it as that necessarily, but that's what it is. It's something benevolent that we do for a community. That's okay. When you give, when you give five bucks to the, to the guy with the sign at the freeway exit, that, that counts. Later on at the, in the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to um, help us out with uh, uh, some money um, going to Haiti. That will be a, a, an act of charity. right? When you take a meal to somebody who is, who is not well, When you visit somebody in the hospital, Jesus gave us a whole list, a whole series of things that are included within this action. I was in prison and you visited me, work of charity. I was hungry and you fed me, work of charity. I was naked and you clothed me, work of charity. I was sick and you visited me, it's a work of charity. It's an alms, right? So even though I'm going to talk mostly about Financial commitments, because that's what he's specifically talking about here. It's broader than that. Everybody okay with that? Okay, good. These five guys here, we're we're good. The rest of you, just it'll be over and you won't even know it happened. Okay. Um, so when you give alms, by the way, I need to make one one other little bit of caveat here. He's not talking about all giving. He's talking, in fact, about generosity beyond giving a generosity of life that might eventuate in money but could just as easily eventuate in some kind of service for a next-door neighbor, okay? And, he's not, and And the reason I say this is because everybody in the first century would have understood that Jesus is not talking about giving to church. This is not the offering that we took here a few minutes ago. This isn't giving to the garden. It's not giving to Rock Harbor. It's not giving to a church. Jesus assumed that his disciples would be among the most generous givers to church. In fact, all of his disciples were good religious Jews. So guess what? They tithed, which means they gave 10% of their income off the top. They didn't calculate, they didn't slice and dice, and they gave it into the temple, or into their local synagogue as a way of supporting the work of the ministry in that place of worship. You see? Now, and in order to make sense of what I'm going to say about alms, I need you to back up with me a little bit because we get all nervous about this. And I, I just got to tell you, if you really want to push back against materialism, give your money away. If you really want to push back against the spirit of the age that says you are what you buy, become a giver beyond giving. Become generous beyond tithe, right? So what's the big deal with tithe? The big deal is this. In the Old Testament, particularly, where the word tithe here, old word, but it simply means 10th. And it was usually the first tenth in an agrarian culture. The first crop off the land, a tenth of that, the first fruits it was called, went into the temple. Uh, and the resource that was used, whether animals or financial or grains or vegetables or fruit, was used were used to support those who served the community by their religious duties. The priests. The Levites, all of that that Old Testament group, and we can talk about this a lot if you want. I'm just going to want to give you a quick snapshot of this because I think it's important as we as we move into this into this next phase. Uh, as that comes into the, and so the so and and what the tithe represented was gratitude. It, rec, it it says everything we have we have received. Not one single thing has come into our hand as the fruit of the land or as the the result of our hard work and labor and getting paid, right? Not one single thing have we been able to accomplish without the grace and help of God. So I'm going to tithe as a way of saying thank you and recognizing that it is all his. The tithe isn't you giving God 10%, it's God allowing you to have 90%. And it's recognizing that it's all his, which means that he gets say over what you do with the 90% as well as what you do with the 10, right? So, so, so we begin with this 10%. And the, the assumption is that, and, and this comes through into the New Testament in, in a number of ways, and I can walk you through that too because I have all, you know, I've been pastoring for 30 years or so. And so I've always had people saying, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about tithe in the New Testament. Yes, It does. It does. Jesus says your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Guess how much the Pharisees tithed. Anybody interested? Close to 30%. Now, is Jesus saying you have to give that much? No. He's just saying get your heart right and stop talking about nitpicking money that's not yours anyway. How much would you have had if the Father hadn't blessed you with breath today? Get a grip. It's not yours, so recognize it by giving, right? So as our population increases as part of the garden and you decide you want to be part of this community, guess what? We're not going to dun you, but we will expect at some point, and I'm just blunt, that you will, because this is a place of your primary spiritual nourishment, tithe here. Nobody said amen or anything, but I just want you to know, right? Because that's how the work of the ministry goes forward. How many still want to push back against materialism? I mean, do you see? There's an implication to this, right? Because here's the deal. If you're faithful with little stuff, God says, I can probably trust you with big stuff. By the way, you don't give so that God will give. You give because God has already given. It's not bribery, it's thanksgiving. Do you, you feel the difference in that? So think about that. If you can't start with 10, fine, start with one. Start with half, start with something. You want to you get out of debt? Tithe your way out of debt. Serious, we, we've got people in our community here who have done that, who have just said, wait, the reason we're such a mess is because we bought into the idol of materialism. And credit carded ourselves to death. How do we push back against this? Well, we pay off our debts. But then we get the ship turned right side up by a generous heart that just says 10% off the top, non-negotiable, goes to the church. We're not even going to tell the church where it goes because it's not our money. With me? So that's the backstory. And then Jesus says, now look, we don't need to talk about that because you guys are already doing that. So let's talk about this next thing, and that that was all private, right? So let's talk about this next thing, which is public giving. And he says, when you give alms, when you do these works of righteousness, when you give that five bucks to the guy on the freeway off-ramp, backing it up into the first century, he says, don't sound a trumpet before yourself, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets. Now, the truth is, nobody sounded a trumpet. This Jesus is telling a joke here. How many of you know Jesus had a wonderful sense of humor, right, and that he told jokes all the time? Most of us are too afraid to laugh, but he's funny, right? It's like way back in the, in the fifth chapter there, it, when we were talking about lust, for example, he says, look, it's better to Better to, uh, 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 you know, pluck out your eye, remember that one, right? Than, than to, 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 or to cut off your hand, right? Than to go into heaven whole, but, right, dealing with lust. Now, why does Jesus say that? Does he really expect you to pluck out your eye if you've got lust? How many of you know lust is not a condition of the eye? Right? It's a condition of the heart, So you can poke your eye out, you can cut your hands off, and you're still going to be a and lump. I'll just tell you that, right? You got to deal with it in other ways. How many have discovered that? No show of hands. All right. Um, So, so, so here's here's now he's saying, and and this is another one of his jokes. He says, "Don't, don't now whether they sounded the trumpet or not. Everybody knew they were giving. Why? Because they were giving to be seen by everybody." So he said, they might as well be sounding a trumpet. Don't be like that. When you do stuff, and he's not saying hide it from everybody. He's saying don't purposefully make it known. Because if you're giving, so you get the benefit of somebody's public acclaim. It's a photo op on Thanksgiving at the soup kitchen at friend Jordan mission. Oh, look how generous. Generous he, she, they are. Well, where were they yesterday? But today the cameras are there, so their publicist has them positioned nicely, hairnet in place. Don't do that! If the goal is to get people to think you're generous. Because now they think it, you're done. Instead... Give out of a heart that is generous. Not so that others will see. It's a very simple message, right? Anybody struggle not with understanding what Jesus says, but actually doing it? That's the problem, isn't it? It's not that we don't know what he's talking about, it's that he can't mean what he's saying. Bad news, he does. Good news, it really works. If you want to push back against the spirit of materialism in your own heart, become a generous giver beyond giving. Right? Truly, I say to you, he says, those guys who do that have their reward in full. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's another joke. Right? In other words... He's saying, and, and man, this poor verse has been exegeted to uh, the, to death over the last few years. The left hand is the private hand, and the right hand is the don't let no. He's just saying, give in such a way that there is no pretense. There's no division. There's no secrecy on the one hand, but there's no publicity on the other. Just give, because you're a generous person, right? Because Jesus is always getting at the heart, right? He wants us not to do certain kinds of things. He wants us to be certain kinds of people so that the doing will flow naturally from the being. So he's saying here, look, after you've gotten tithe out of the way, now, what do we do with the 90%? Okay. And he's saying, be generous with it. And don't do it so that people think you're generous. Just do it because you are. Fairly straightforward, huh? Anybody not understand the concept? How many recognize that this kind of radical generosity beyond giving would have a transformative effect, first in your own heart, but then also in the culture in which we live, in which it's, what can I get for me? You want to push back against the spirit of materialism. You want to push back against that material world. uh, Either Darren or I'm not sure what, or we might do it together, are going to be talking about this a little bit later on, because Jesus talks about money and treasure and where your heart is a little bit later on, right? But right now, he's just saying, let your works of generosity, let your gifts of generosity be done in such a way that it reflects your heart. So do these things in secret. Don't do them publicly. Right? And that he's not saying uh, don't, you know, take it back if somebody sees you. He's saying don't do it so that somebody sees you. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity to put into practice what we're talking about. With me? And uh, uh, Darren's going to come up and he's going to talk about uh, some structural things that we want to do, but we felt that, you know, we we asked for a response after every sermon, right? And sometimes the response is go to to the uh, communion or for prayer, uh, back in the lounge, or find somebody to pray with. Some of you, uh, over the last few weeks, he's asked you to to reconcile with people, to write letters maybe of forgiveness, to make phone calls. We don't want you to be hearers only of what we're talking about. We want you to be able to start to... Do it, right? I don't want you to be taking notes in the sermon and thinking, wow, that was a great thing. Now I can get and live however I want Unless you're convinced that Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about and that your way's working out for you better than his. Which, frankly, I don't think so. All right? So talk about how we're going to do this. Yeah. Um,
3: I think for some of us tonight, there's a response that this is this is our home and tithing is just, That's a given. Some of us need to act in that. So I just need to leave it with that. So some of you, let's start. uh, But we all know what's been going on in the world, right? Haiti's been hit with a horrible situation. And as a a church, a local church in Long Beach, we want to help in however we can help. So we have um, connected with a, a group of people called Hope Force International, and it's a It's an organization that we've been been partnered with through Rock Harbor. I I know, actually, personally, a lot of people here know them. But we want to support their work specifically in Haiti. And we want to answer that call as a church tonight. So as the response tonight, uh, if this is hitting you, we're going to ask you just to come forward. And there'll be two baskets right here. And uh, just give what you want. And when you give, if you're writing a check... It would be great if you could make it out to Hope Force International. We're in a place where we're figuring out our systems as a church, our budget systems and finances. So we need to do it separate to them. Um, but remember, we're not, we're not. when you come up, this isn't about doing it in front of everyone. Uh, it's about you and God. So as, as the worship team comes up right now and as they lead us in a time of response, um, let this get messy. I mean, it's, we're packed. We're going to have people coming down. Just allow your heart to respond how you feel. How you feel fit? You want to add anything? All right, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you—you you have spoken plainly to us as disciples. May our hearts receive your message tonight, and may our worship be practical. Would you lead us to where you want us to give? We pray this in your name.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, please visit us on the web at
2: thegardenlb.org.
4: Space for
1: presents
4: to dwell